Well, welcome to the house of the Lord. How is everyone this evening? Good. I, I just want to take this opportunity to welcome everyone to the Grace Church campus. We're glad you're here. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, we are so glad that you've chosen to be a part of our service. And I know that the Word of God will be a blessing to you. Why don't we start tonight with prayer? Uh, in fact, we'll just change it up a little bit. I'm going to ask you to stand. How about that? And just, just do something a little different tonight. Let's stand together. Would you raise your hands heavenward and let's invite the presence of God in together. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. It's, a, it's another day, another opportunity to be in your house, Lord. And we're thankful to be here, thankful to feel your presence, thankful to be with your people. Lord, it is never in vain. It's never, it's never time that's not accounted for, Lord. It's time wisely invested in eternity. And so I know tonight will be no different. Anoint the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word. Anoint our minds and our hearts. Bless everyone that's here, everyone that's a part on live stream. In Jesus' name. Would you just say in Jesus' name? Amen. And in fine apostolic tradition, you may be seated. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. You can always give online. You can also give at Grand Central uh, on your way out in the offering box. And we thank you for your generosity and your commitment there. I have two, just two things to run by you tonight, and, and both are extremely and extraordinarily important. Both, uh, this will be as far as I can tell, and remember, this is the first time we've mentioned them across the pulpit. So please listen up and buckle up. This is not your run-of-the-mill Week, uh, weekly schedule. This coming Sunday, Sister Farrah Bunch needs to meet with all parents of, of kids going to kids camp. And this meeting will, will occur right after church, right after the altar service Sunday morning. This, this meeting is, is, is very important uh, for all of our kids, all of our parents for kids camp. Um, they're doing something different this year in response to the COVID pandemic. This is mandated by the federal government, some protocols and precautions that they have to take. And so as parents, you have to know about these things so that you can implement them and that you can be um, on, on board and online so that your kids can enjoy kids camp. So this meeting is extraordinarily important for all of our parents who have children going to, kid camp, to kids camp. And then mark your calendar. This is the second announcement for June the 6th. We're very excited about this. This is something new we're doing. Um, and we're so excited about it. On Sunday, June the 6th, it will be Academic Awards Sunday. How about that? Academic Awards Sunday. We want to recognize all of our students, all of our kids for their achievements in the academic year 2020 to 2021. And I just think that's fabulous. I love this idea because our, our apostolic kids are excelling in school. They're doing marvelous things. They're representing themselves, they're representing our church, and most importantly, they're representing God very well on the school campuses, and we want to recognize their accomplishments, and so it's very important that you let us know, let the church office know about your child's accomplishments so that we can recognize them on June the 6th, so please help us out with this, make a note of it, parents, we want your children to be recognized on that Sunday, so God bless you for that. Amen. 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 I want to share just one uh, quick passage of scripture with you uh, by way of inspiration, and then I'm going to turn the service over to pastor. I've been meditating on this, this passage in, in Psalms chapter 144. Uh, just a couple of verses here. The psalmist writes, blessed be the Lord, my rock, 
who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield, and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me, who subdues my people under me. I like the two thoughts that the psalmist has going here. First of all, he says that God trains his hands, the, the, the writer, the person, trains his hands for war, his fingers for battle. We have to engage the battle. We have to be about the war sometimes. Sometimes it is a fight, and we're expected to show up and fight that fight and do our part. But then the psalmist introduces the idea that it's really not by the strength of his hands that he wins the battle. In fact, it's God that does all the fighting because it's God who is the fortress, the high tower, the deliverer, the shield, the refuge. God is the one that subdues the people. And so this is an excellent idea. It's an excellent inspiration for times when we're in the battle, when we're in the fight, when it seems like uh, that, that maybe the, the battle is at its heaviest. We're not fighting alone. We're not, we're not having to fight by our own strength, but we have a God who is a refuge. He's a deliverer, and he is the one that subdues our enemy under our feet. No wonder the scripture says in another place, we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory. I'm so thankful for that tonight. I'm thankful that I'm not alone, that he's fighting with me and he's fighting for me. As pastor comes to the pulpit for Bible study, would you just clap your hands one more time to the God who delivers tonight. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Dave. Great to see everybody here tonight, and uh, thank you for coming, as always, on Wednesday night, and I'm deeply, deeply thankful for such a consistent crowd on Wednesday night, and uh, your faithfulness uh, to the house of the Lord, particularly on Wednesday night, is certainly and absolutely appreciated, and everybody said amen. I had a wonderful time here this past Sunday. Uh, it was Mother's Day, but that doesn't stop the presence of the Lord from moving. And uh, I'm very thankful, again, for the consistency of the Spirit of the Lord being with us. He's always faithful. He's always here. And uh, you can count on it. God will always be present. And I'm so very thankful for that. Before I get into my Bible study tonight, I want to uh, share with you some things that are on my heart. And... Uh, this is um, what I'm about to say is very, maybe somewhat unusual, but uh, the segue into this is the impact uh, that last year has had on churches. Now surveys are being done and the results are being tallied and, and all of that. I read uh, a blog last week about a, uh, a man on, on ministry staff in a church. I don't know what church it was. Uh, bemoaning the fact that before uh, the pandemic hit, they averaged about 500 people. And uh, since the pandemic hit, uh, they're averaging about 200 people. And they just cannot figure out how to get their church people back. I want to say across the board tonight, and I applaud and compliment Grace Church for uh, the very difficult time that we had. <clears throat> but the vast majority of our church has returned, at least on some level, and for that I am incredibly, incredibly thankful. 
um, Casey uh, shared with me a uh, statement from an email uh, just it was uh, today or, or yesterday I believe it was today and again the tallying of all these statistics and things are are being done but this this group surveying churches across America has said in the last year two-thirds two-thirds of practicing US Christians American Christians have switched churches started visiting a new church or stopped attending church altogether uh, as of last year uh, that's two-thirds that is a startling perplexing number of people and pastors are having to somehow or another in some way shape or form they're having to work through this um, and I don't know how they're doing it because Grace Church across the board is back uh, and this is the unusual part of this presentation but during the COVID uh, crises uh, I think we lost five or six families uh, uh, for reasons as far as I know they're attending church somewhere it's just not here uh, we still have uh, maybe a couple of families that's not come back uh, that are watching on live stream or we hope they are and saying that uh, I've done a lot of personal um, scrutiny if you will I've put myself under the microscope and and I suppose most pastors if they're honest would feel the same way but there's, uh, I feel like there was a lot of mistakes that I made, maybe not a lot, but several mistakes that I made in, as far as leadership, uh, perhaps attitude, passion, um, to do a, to not ignore uh, the pandemic, not to play like it didn't happen, but to try to keep people's faith. My, my purpose became, uh, when we saw this was going to be months and months, uh, to keep people's faith. Uh, firmly in the Lord, not in the media, not in the hopes of a vaccine, etc., but to keep our faith in the Lord. That was my goal and motive. As perhaps I didn't always approach it right, didn't always preach with the right tone of voice. Uh, maybe we should have taken a longer absence from campus. Maybe we took too long of an absence from campus. Maybe we took we took two absences from campus. Maybe we should have only done one. I've I've gone through all this stuff in my head, in my head, over and over and over. But I want to submit to all of you here tonight, as much as church members are hurting across the United States and even around the world, uh, our missionaries even have it more difficult than we have here uh, with all of this. Um, I'm not sure people really recognize the how burdensome and how challenging this is. I've said over and over, I had no idea how difficult it would be to try to navigate a church through a pandemic. And um, there wasn't anybody you could call because in nobody's lifetime that I know of has anybody ever tried to, to do this, accomplish this feat. And uh, ministry needs prayer. All across our country and around our world, the ministry needs prayer. Pastors need to be uplifted in prayer. We've talked about uh, numerous times here at Grace Church, and, and we have focused on it at times uh, as a part of our our Bible study, as part of preaching, etc. 
how that people get hurt by ministry, and that is true. It's absolutely true. We've been very open and very honest about that. But I think we also, it would be very kind for church people to consider how often the ministry is hurt by church people. It goes both ways. And as much as we want latitude when we're hurt, I think it's only fair to give the ministry some latitude when they are. And uh, last year was a, a very difficult time. I'm still grieving in my spirit. I'm grieving um, over paths that we chose, uh, perhaps postures that we chose. I still grieve over some things that perhaps we should have done different. But I grieve the most over the people that left. And uh, it's very hurtful. Uh, we invest a lot of time, and we try to invest a lot of time in families. Um, the folks that left, we've invested a lot of times in their kids, a lot of time in their kids, a lot of interest in their kids and their parents, whoever it may be. Um, we've counseled and worked with people with finances, and you just go right down the line. And so for people just to say, I don't like the way you're doing church or not doing church during this pandemic, I'm going to leave and go somewhere else. Uh, it's hurtful. It's hurtful. Because you're not guaranteed that the pastor down the street, across town, wherever it may be, that he's doing a good job either. We were all struggling. Everybody was struggling. But I want to solicit your prayers tonight for ministry in our area, in our state, in our country, and certainly around the world. When you pray, would you just lift pastors up in prayer that God will help all of us rebuild our church and recover those things that we've lost? Uh, that God would just be special and just really pour out his spirit. Is that okay? Thank the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> so with that in mind, it, I, this is, has really nothing to do with our Bible study. It's not a segue into Bible study in any way, shape, or form. But uh, I've just I've wanted to share that with you, uh, to pray for our churches, our pastors, that God would just give our leaders wisdom and how to continue to lead and guide the church into what I believe is going to be more tumultuous times than even what we've been through. We're going to need a lot of wisdom, a lot of character, a lot of strength, a lot of courage. So we covet your prayers tonight. I want to read tonight from Exodus chapter 20, uh, beginning with verse 1. And um, I want to talk to you tonight about a subject that's very important to me. It's very important, the Word of God. And I believe it should be one that's important to all of us. It's, it's so easy to let our minds drift to traditional standards and conform and build our lives in relationship with God based off of tradition and actually have it replace the Word of God. We even can allow culture to do that. Culture can lead us into a mindset that, that we use as a posture, as an attitude to uh, determine what our relationship with God would be and uh, we can also use experiences, circumstances, all of these things. But none of these things, none of these things trump the Word of God. You always default to the Word of God when you want to measure your relationship with God, when you want to enhance your relationship with God, when you want to draw closer to God, whatever it is, however you want to say it. You always default to the Word of God 
not I'm doing the best I can under circumstances. I'm doing the best I can under culture. I'm doing the best I can under tradition. You throw all that away. You're going to be judged by what the Bible says. And that's it. God's not going to factor in other things. I can't find any scriptures that teach that. God's not going to factor in other things. So Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1, if you don't recognize this, this is the beginning of the Ten Commandments, and I will share with you tonight the first. And God spake all these words. God spake. God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and thou shalt have no other gods, lowercase g, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. I want to talk to you tonight for a little while about priorities and in and, and a Bible study and particularly this one, the clock is never my friend and uh, had a long conversation with somebody just here recently at how church used to run to 9 o'clock on Wednesday night. Anybody remember that back in the day? We had full-fledged song service, two or three songs, congregational songs, a solo, an offering, testimony service, and then the preacher would get up and teach and uh, you might get out at 9, 9.15. And uh, so when I go to 8.30 and you think that's late, just think of what it could have been. Amen. So there are some very unique blessings that can kind of sneak up on you when it comes to the clock. And somebody says a person that watches a clock is not a man of the hour anyway. So let's jump into Bible study tonight. Let me talk a little bit about the Ten Commandments. In the Hebrew language in which they were first delivered, the Ten Commandments were actually called the Ten Words. Called the Ten Words. They are brief and clear directives from God. They are not merely sayings, but are meant to translate into holy, godly actions. There's something about the Ten Commandments that holds each of us accountable. The way they're presented, the way they're written, the way they're designed, they hold all of us accountable. And they are not replaced by culture, tradition, circumstances, etc. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand tonight, but how many of you live by the Ten Commandments? What if I said name them? Uh, Newsweek once reported that only 49% of Protestants and only 44% of Catholics could name even four. Less than half of faithful churchgoers, both Catholic and Protestant, could only name less than half. Less than half could only name four of the ten. So if how can you live by them if you don't know really what they are. So the question may come to your mind today, it has mine, times past. Why did God give the Ten Commandments? Why did He even give the Ten Commandments? I want everybody to understand and listen very carefully. God did not give the Ten Commandments to hurt us, but to help us. He did not give the Ten Commandments to restrict us, but to release us. He did not give the Ten Commandments to punish us, but to protect us. May I submit simply here tonight that the Ten Commandments is a parameter. It's a a barrier. 
It's a, a fence. It's a boundary, if you will. Um, psychiatrists that study child behavior, counselors that have studied child behavior, everybody, all of them across the board has said repeatedly that children are the most happy when they know their parameters. When there's established parameters. And I believe the same is true with the people of God. We are much happier when we know what the parameters are. When you're living your life, when you have a, a habitual life, if you will. It's, it's habits for godly living. If you live that every day, then you are a happier person than that person who flounders in their relationship with God, really not knowing or understanding what makes God happy, what pleases Him, and what does not. I want everyone to understand here tonight, even if you're watching on live stream or Facebook live, every time God says don't, it's not some harsh rule. It's not to be taken that way. It is for our benefit when God says don't. It's for our benefit. When we ignore His commands, it is to our own hurt. It is to our own detriment. Whether you believe that or not, it is. Ask the person who's committed adultery and their spouse found out about it. What do you think? What about the people who steal and get caught? And you could go on and on. The Ten Commandments are similar to a child touching a hot stove when his parent just told him, don't do that. It's hot and it'll burn you. And they touch it anyway. We understand the principle. I want everyone to understand here tonight that the Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. They're not options. Let me explain it this way. If you jump out of a ten-story window and ignore God's law of gravity, it's not you breaking God's laws, it's them breaking you. It's not the fall. We all know that. But it's a sudden stop at the bottom that gets you every time. The same is true of spiritual laws. The Bible said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. They are to be an integral part of our families. And if we obey them, our homes will be blessed. Everybody said amen. So tonight I want to look at one of these commandments and see how it could become a lifestyle and see if it can make a difference in our lives and in the lives of our families, the lives of our homes and the, the way we structure our home. Let's talk about priorities. The Bible said, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The order of the Ten Commandments is not haphazard. I don't believe God threw all of them in a hat and just picked them out one at a time and whatever he picked is the order they came in. I, that happened that way. The first commandment is the foundation for living a healthy life and for having and producing and raising a strong family. Priorities. Everybody say priorities. It is a necessary and important commandment. 
What's the principle? To examine our priorities. It's literally putting God first. God demands top priority in our lives, and He refuses to play second fiddle to anything or anybody. And He deserves to be number one because, after all, He made you. So what does it mean to have no other gods before me? What is a God with a small g? Listen carefully. Listen to pastor. It is anything or anybody that dominates or controls your life ahead of God. Even good things that God has created for us to enjoy become gods when you give them first place. In your life, when you do something that trumps being faithful to the house of the Lord, when you do things that trumps being faithful to your family, when you do things that trumps um, every area of your life, it's become an idol. It's become a god. I know some people don't like this kind of teaching, but it's nonetheless true, and it's not based on culture, tradition, or circumstances. It's based on strictly what the Word of God teaches. The last phrase of the first command is the most compelling. Literally means, no gods, God said, to be in my face. Those things we deem more important than God cut off our communication with Him and take Him out of our sight. I was talking to someone just recently. don't remember who it was. It doesn't matter. I was coming to church from our new house that we just moved to, and it seems like it's only a three-mile road, but it seems like sometimes it's 15 miles long because I get behind somebody going 20 miles an hour, and it's like I will never, ever get around these people. I still believe God allows these things to happen to try my patience, and I keep failing miserably. I'm just being honest. But I had the wonderful fate of getting behind someone just just several days ago who was a student driver. The car was marked very clearly, and the motion of the vehicle told the story very clearly that it was in this lane, that lane. If I had been the person sitting in that car teaching this person how to drive, I'd have had to have something in me to sedate me just a little bit, or we'd be pulling over. And I would take the wheel. This person was out in the opposite lane and way over on over the white line. I'm like, I'm going to witness a crash right here of some young kid. Well, it brought back memories of when I was in high school. When I was in high school at Astruma High School, this was an elective. or uh, It was not an elective, but something you could choose to do if you wanted to. And back then, you could get your driver's license at 15, which makes my heart stop beating just to think of that now. No offense to any 15-year-olds here tonight, but is what it is. So we had to set in a simulator thing where you're sitting down and you're driving a car. you got the steering wheel, the blinkers, the light switch, the gas pedal, and the brake. And you watch a film and all kind of crazy things happen. And it tests your reaction and responses and to see if you really know what you're doing and qualified for a driver's license. And I remember this very distinctly because uh, in that class, I remember the... The narrator, the commentator on this simulator, simulating driving, said that you really have to watch for motorcycles. And he held up a stick of gum, a piece of, it was double mint gum. It was that green wrapper. And he said, you hold that in front of your face like that, and you cannot see a motorcycle for over 100 yards in front of you. 
And I've never forgotten that. And uh, so bringing that to our uh, what's applicable here tonight, those things that we deem to be more important than God cuts off our communication with Him, and it takes Him out of our sight. So this is interesting to me that I can hold up this piece of paper like this, and I can actually read it. It's the service schedule. I can actually read it Wednesday night, May the 12th, and so on. But it blocks out virtually everyone's setting in these two sections right here. I can see the two far sections, but only my peripheral vision. And this is what happens when we put things ahead of God. We don't realize it. We don't realize it until we need Him. We don't realize Him until circumstances and crises comes and our families aren't doing well and our kids aren't doing well and all of that. We need God. We need to get our face on our face before God, but we can't because we've got this going on. And if we let this go, then it seems like we're giving up a big part of our life. But I want everybody here to notice tonight. When God gives a commandment or a principle, every time God gives a principle, He always follows it with a promise. And when you don't respond properly to the commandments of God, you're cutting yourself out of the promises of God. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. By God is my life, and I'll do as my please. Well, please. Well, you, you can, and you can do that, and God will let you do that, but He don't always feel compelled to follow through on his promises either. The wise man said in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 6, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The living Bible says, In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Is there anybody here tonight that can say that? I've put God first for years and God has blessed me. He's blessed my family. He's blessed my kids. I can say that. If you can't, then maybe you need to re-examine your priorities. Somebody suggested, do you want to be successful? Examine your priorities and put God first. They went on to say, whatever area you want God to bless, put him first in that area and see what happens. You ever tried it? You ever tried it? We all know that the divorce rate in America is now about 50% success rate. I've said this before and I'll say it again. When I marry people, way back in my mind, I realize when they're walking down the aisle, they have about a 50-50 shot at making it reality but Harvard University did a study in 2000 it's an old outdated it's 21 years old it's an outdated statistic but still makes the point back in 2000 in marriages where the wedding is in a church the divorce rate is 1 in 50 in marriages where they married in a Christian ceremony go to church every week read the Bible and pray together the divorce is 1 in 1105 Put God first. What area you want God to bless in your life, put God first in that area and see what happens. So how do I put God first? I'm going to give you five ways tonight, and I'm going to go as quickly as I can to satisfy the clock and you 830ers. Uh, I want to give you five ways tonight. Somebody looked at what did he say? I'm not going to repeat it. You'll have to go back on live stream to catch it. Let's talk first of all about finances. 
The wise man said in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. There's a difference between the two. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Put God first in your finances, and this is what happens. So God says, put me the first part, give me the first part back, and I'll bless all the rest. The Bible teaches that money, the Bible teaches that money is the number one test of our priorities. Your checkbook reveals what's really important to you. It's not what you say, but it's how you spend your money. God's word talks more about giving than either heaven or hell. Over half of Jesus' parables deal with the subject of money. There are more promises in the Bible about giving than any other subject. I wonder why God did that. Why do you think he did that? Perhaps he knew it would be a weakness of humanity. In Deuteronomy 14, 23, the Bible said, Thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, of thine oil, of the firstlings of thy herd, of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. The Living Bible again said the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. So what is tithing? You all know it. It is the first 10% of all my increase goes back to God. The first, not the last when you make sure you have enough left over because who does, right? Uh, The first 10% of all my increase goes back to God. Why is that important? God says if I'm not tithing, He's not really first in my life. Brother Tenney used to say, it's one thing to give God your heart, it's another thing to give God your pocketbook. And that is true. If you are in a financial mess right now, the first step is to put God first in your finances. Whatever you want God to bless, put Him first in that area. So when should I tithe? When? As soon as you get paid, or when you are the recipient of increase. Now, that's the difference I was talking about just a moment ago. Most people believe most people believe that tithing is the 10% of my income, but the Bible takes it a step further. So if you buy a car for $500 and you sell it for $800, then $300 is increase, right? So you pay tithe on that. Does everybody follow me? I just saw an expression or two that says, Really? Maybe we have some making up to do. I don't know. Let me put it in a more relevant term, more realistic term. If you sell your house and you make a good profit on your house more than you paid for it, that's increase. Well, Brother Murphy, I can do the $800 car thing, but man, a house, that's a lot of money. You want God first? You want to put God first? You want to be blessed in that area? Give it to him. And see what happens. I have to admire and applaud both of my sweet grandsons, Noah and Joseph. Even when they have birthday parties and they solicit everyone they can for money. All of you that have contributed to their birthdays can be rest assured that the day following their birthday, they will literally come to Papa and Annie's house with a tithing envelope. They don't wait till church time. They bring it as soon as they get it in a little tithing envelope. It might be 10 cents or it might be $10, whatever it is. 
They give it, and I applaud them both for that. You celebrate giving as a part of worship. You celebrate as a part of worship because tithing is an act of worship. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. The Living Bible said, On every large day each of you should put aside something from which you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you to earn. So where should I tithe? Well, it's where you get fed spiritually, God's storehouse. The matter of tithing is the only instance where God says, Test me. Literally see if I exist. It's an interesting note there because most of us believe that tithing, try me and see, uh, we don't put that exist thing. If you really believe God exists, then you're willing to tithe to him your first fruits. And then he will prove to you that he does exist. It's pretty cool. Bring all your tithes, the Bible said, into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. <clears throat> the second area where we should put God first is in our interest. The Bible said, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, therefore whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If God's really going to be number one, you must put him first in your interest. That is amusements, recreation, hobbies, etc. How do you do that? Everything you do with an attitude of gratitude puts God first in that area. Enjoy the things he's given you, but not at the expense of your relationship with God and the biblical commandments that God has put in place. You can tell what a person's priorities are by seeing what they get excited about. Those things that are important to a person. A good test is what you talk about the most. If God is first in your life, he's going to be a part of your conversation. And you won't be ashamed to talk about him because he comes first. You can examine your priorities. I'm often amused with football players, especially the scorer that win a big ball game and they get the, you know, the, the most valuable player off on the sideline and say, how do you feel about things? And they say, well, I give God all the glory. Might as well. I mean, it doesn't hurt whether it's really true or not or applicable or not. I don't know, but I don't know how much God has to do with a person scoring a touchdown, but especially on Sunday, but they still like to give God glory for it. So you give God, you make God first in your interest. The third area that you make uh, priority is in relationships. In Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen, the wise man said, as in water, Face, as in water face, answers to face, so the heart of man to man. Again, the Living Bible says a mirror reflects a man's face is what the scripture is saying. But what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends that he chooses. So if you want God first in your life, you're going to have to choose your friends carefully. Why? Because you become like the people you spend the most time with. If you spend time with people who take God lightly... You will tend to become a casual believer yourself. But if you spend time with people who take God seriously and are committed and take God and His Word seriously, you can become a stronger, committed Christian person. Parents, what type of people are you exposing your children to? 
How do you spend time? Who do you spend time with? Who do you invite into your home? Make sure they model the kind of behavior that is built on biblical principles. And don't forget that kids model themselves after what they see on television and movies and music they listen to and so on and so on. Again, to quote the wise man, Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So if you really want God first, then some relationships are wrong for you. Yes, they are. It's always easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. The fourth area of priority tonight, and I'm hurrying, is schedule. It's how you plan. Uh, I've noticed through the years, as a number of years in pastoring, at how often people never include events and, and church goings on and so on and they're planning in the future you say well pastor is it really you know that big of a deal I believe it is I believe you're making a statement um, when people plan things on Sunday sister Murphy and I had a conversation on the way to church tonight about this is graduation season we have some of our students that are graduating tonight it's interesting that they pick Wednesday night that's there's a strategy in that School systems across the board, at least the ones in this area, often will schedule things throughout the year on Wednesday night because it knows it's going to take the Wednesday night churchgoers out of church because they'll go and be with their kids and so on. That's a sign of the times. But the wise, or rather, Paul said in Ephesians 5, 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So how do I put God first in my schedule? I ask him to help me use my time wisely. I want to say here in passing, just had a, 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 just this little thought come into my mind. People may leave here tonight and say, you know, Pastor did a great job teaching Bible study, and or Pastor didn't do a great job at all teaching that Bible study, whatever you want to say. But I don't want you to listen to my voice. It's not my words. Don't, don't, don't tie pastor to this. Tie this to the word of God. This is not Brother Murphy asking you. This is the word of God commanding. And if you'll do it, it comes with a promise. It comes with blessing. I've lived this for years. I've lived it for years and years and years, and so have many of you. So how do I put God first in my schedule? I ask him to help me use my time wisely. Pray and ask God to help you use your time wisely. Oftentimes, I'll make a to-do list of things that I have to do and say, so does Sister Murph. God, which of these things do you want me to do? I've learned how to prioritize things in my mind. I've lived a lifestyle for so many years. Actually, it's become second nature. Um, I don't normally plan anything on Sunday for obvious reasons. You may not be so forgiving. Love the preacher that went golfing one Sunday morning. Love the story. It's obviously not true, but it gets the point across. He went out to the golf course. Pastor just woke up on that perfect golfing day. The sun was out and the whole thing. And he just told his wife, I'm calling in sick, and I'm going to play golf. So he called those that could handle the service, and he got his golf clubs out and went, got to the golf course, teed up the ball, first swing, just smacked it, hole in one. I'm sorry. It went off the fairway, got in a bush, 
the bush shook and rattled and it threw it over to a tree and the tree shook and rattled and shook and rattled and threw it to another bush and it shook and rattled that ball around and finally out onto the putting green and right in the hole for a hole in one. There were an angel in heaven watching him and saw all of that and they said, God, why in the world did you bless that man with such an incredible hole in one golfing on Sunday morning? And God said, it's simple. He'll never be able to tell it. And I appreciate the sentiment. So those wonderful, wonderful blessings you get on Sunday morning in absence of church, you find it difficult to tell, don't you? There's a reason. That's God making a statement. I think we would all agree tonight that we do not have time to do everything that we want to do. Does everybody get to do everything, every single thing you want to do? Nobody does. So selection is the name of the game. More specifically, priority. Now, if you'll default to this way of thinking, that God has a plan for your life, so if you find yourself having more things to do than you have time to do, Maybe it means that you're not prioritizing very well and maybe God isn't that big part of your life that he should be. They may be good things, but God never puts more on you than he puts in you. A statement for all of us to consider tonight. So if you really want God to be first in your life, then you need to make a daily appointment with him to read your Bible, to pray, and then review your schedule and priorities for the week, for the day, for the week with him. Review it with him. Even Jesus felt the need for daily prayer. The Bible said in the morning rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there he prayed. All of you are familiar with this, but I'm going to submit it to you anyway. In Stephen Covey's bestseller, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, habit number three is very similar to the, first, to the thought of the first commandment, and that's put first things first. Again, my fifth grade school teacher, Mrs. Peabody, said that over and over. But in that chapter, Covey introduces the first, the four quadrants of time management. You'll see it on the screen. Quadrant number one, according to Covey, is things that are urgent and important. These are crises, pressing problems, deadlines, Quadrant number two is things that are not urgent but important. That's planning, relationship building, preparation, etc. Quadrant number three is urgent and not important. That's interruptions, popular activities, and even this. I have literally sat in marriage counseling with people. I've sat in financial counseling with people. And you're in that deep, heavy moment where eyes are teary and all of that. And the phone rings and everything stops. And they say, excuse me. And they hop up and walk out in the hall to talk on the phone. Only to come back and that train of thought's been broken, etc. But buddy, our lives are ruled by these. How many have ever gone into a restaurant and see, a, obviously, a, some kind of a work meeting going on. And one of them's phone rings and he's going to hop up and answer it. I don't care who was sitting there. Because this trumps everything. We know that, don't we? 
Y'all don't look at me with that blank stare. You all know it's true. Uh, you get a phone call and just push the ignore button and set it down and say, I'll get it later. <sighs> Quadrant number four. It's not urgent and not important. This is trivia, busy work, time wasters, pleasant activities, etc. Covey states at quadrant two contains all the things we know we need to do that we need to do, but somehow seldom get around to doing because they are not urgent. Church is on that list. Yes, it is. I'm not going to say it. We keep, I'll just keep going. Quadrant number one is usually just problems that dominates a lot of our times. Quadrant number two is preparation. That's where we struggle. Quadrant number three is what's popular, and quadrant number four is what's pleasant. And God falls in that preparation category. Stephen Covey says highly effective people spend as much time as possible in quadrant number two. He calls it the 80-20 Pareto Principle. Our spiritual life grows out of quadrant number two. Remember, it's not urgent, but it's important. I believe it is urgent. I mean, the more this black cloud of fulfilled prophecy happens in front of our face every single day. It's getting urgent, folks. Spirituality is getting urgent. If you're going to be rapture ready, if you're going to go to heaven, it's at the critical point now. I, I get nervous sometimes when I come home and Sister Murphy's not home. and um, I don't know where she's at. I had this experience several days ago. I called her, no answer. Call Casey, no answer. Call Chris, and usually no answer, whether it's rapture or not. Sorry, Chris. But anyway, but, but it still made me think. Goodness, what if the rapture took place? Does Noah have a phone? Let me call him and see. Um, you know, you get to that point, you want to start calling church people. I don't know how much comfort there is in that. Uh, I'm kidding. Was, anyway. But it's getting urgent. It is getting urgent. It's, it's not just important, it's urgent. Our spiritual life grows out of quadrant number two. It is important, and we have to take the initiative. Jeremiah said, God said through him, my people have forgotten me. Days without number, he said. And I want to conclude tonight that the fifth area, and I'm concluding, that we should prioritize is our troubles and our worries. Last year is indicative of maybe our weakness in this area. The psalmist said, and call on me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. God says, turn to me first. I remember brother and sister Alexander. Um, God love them. Every time they scheduled a doctor's appointment, they would come the last service before the appointment to get prayed for. I wonder why he lived to be 90-something years old and had cancer and Alzheimer's and all those things and still outlived most people. Prayer should be the first option, not the last resort. God is waiting to hear from you. Put me first, he's saying, even in tough times. Some people think I don't talk to God much when times are good, and I don't feel like I can bother him with my problems. God says, bother me. I had a man tell me literally that a number of years ago. He said, I never talk to God about my problems. I can handle them myself, and uh, 
what have you. How do you know when God is really first in your life? <laughs> you ready for this? It's when you start worrying about things. Worry is the warning light that God is not first in my life at this particular moment. I fail this test often. I worry about church people. But when I start worrying, literally, to some extent, I'm playing God. When God is not first in my finances, my interests, my relationships, my schedules, and in my troubles and trials, I worry about them. You need to ex examine your priorities. Did you ever notice that Jesus said that right in the middle of a sermon on worry, he said putting God first is the antidote to worry. He said in Matthew 6, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Take no thought, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So Joshua made a commitment that we all know. We say it a lot. We smile about it. We rejoice about it. We comment about it here and there. We preach about it. But he made that infamous statement. It's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. One translation said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I have learned that if I want to build a successful life and a strong family, then I have to have the right foundation underneath it. The first commandment tells me I must put God first, and that's the foundation that we all need. If we want to be blessed, if we want God to prosper, if we want God to be a part of our lives, an active part of our lives, then we must put him first. Amen. You're welcome to turn around and look at the clock. It's 824. You should be very proud, and you should be very thankful. Amen. That's the most response I've got during this whole entire Bible study. You've got to prioritize, folks. I'm telling you, you've got to put Bible study first and not the clock. I'm teasing. Thank you for being here tonight. It's been a blessing to teach the Word of God, and um, I hope you'll consider these things. Again, not just the pastor saying it, but it is the Bible. It is the Bible. It's what the Bible teaches, and uh, that you'll apply them even more and more to your life. Put God first. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. You're dismissed. Great to see you. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday morning. <clears throat>